the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hi, everyone. Hope you are having a great weekend. Want to thank you for joining us this fine Saturday. You can always catch us here on the weekend, but wanted to let you know that you can also join Josh every Monday as well. He and Bruce Hooley talk Money Mondays at 1230 p.m. every week right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find this show recording at Josh's website, aptuswealth.com. So let's get started. Hi, Josh. With so much volatility these days, big picture, if you can only have one, what is more important when investing, avoiding the bad times or taking advantage of the good? Well, obviously, you know, we'd love to have nothing but good times and be able to successfully avoid all the bad times. And many times you'll see when you look at investments, uh, you'll have things like upside capture and downside capture, which means my investment, how much of the upside of the market is it capturing and how much, how much of the downside is it capturing? And, you know, the, the lower the second and the higher the first, the better. But, you know, I think if you really look at the market as a whole over a long period of time, think of the last 50 or 75 years, for the past decade or even a little longer than a decade, we've really experienced a great time in the market. We've had very low inflation. We've had incredibly low interest rates, historically speaking. We've had a very easy monetary policy, which means that, you know, money was kind of flowing in and out very easy with these low interest rates. And even as of late, we've had stimulus spending and the domestic stock market, you know, what most people would call the S&P 500 or the Dow has recorded the largest, uh, longest bull run in the history of the stock market. Um, But uh, that is not necessarily normal. So what I'm finding, Diane, is a lot of folks are comparing their investment returns directly to the S&P 500 more now than ever before. And there's some problems that go along with that. Namely, we think of, whether subconsciously or consciously, we think of the S&P 500 as kind of an equal representation of all the different industries that are in our top 500 companies. Meaning, you know, there's as many pharmaceutical companies per dollar amount as there are technology companies or there are Uh, industrial companies. And so if I invest in the S&P 500, then I'm getting this broad breadth of equal weighting of diversity amongst all these different stocks. When the reality is, those things can get a little askew, meaning 
Uh, if you look over the last couple of years, technology accounts for darn near a third of the overall S&P 500. Now, why is that important? Because anytime you see something kind of get out of whack, then you start to kind of pause and say, what does that mean? For example, in 1999 and 2000, technology companies had a very similar response where they were getting overweighted versus the rest of the stuff in the S&P 500. And that can mean maybe a bubble, but it can also mean, you know, maybe you're not being as diverse as you possibly could be. So again, I bring you back to people are comparing everything to the S&P 500, um, where really as we enter into these uncertain times, uh, which, you know, we, we're not exactly sure what will happen in the future, but what I can tell you is it at least looks like we're heading into interest rate tightening. We're heading into high inflation. I don't think anybody would argue with any of this stuff. And obviously valuations on stocks, meaning how much you're paying for a stock versus what it's actually quote unquote worth is getting a lot higher. So stocks are, you'll hear them saying they're getting more expensive and volatility at the same time is picking up. So you could say, as we move into the future, it could be much more important now than in the past 10 years to have a very adequate appropriate level of diversification as it applies to your goals to make sure that we can, again, uh, circling back, get as much upside for our buck as we can while still minimizing the downside. And you asked me a very specific question, Diane, and that was, what's more important? And the answer is, obviously, you want more upsides than you want downsides. But I think the more important question is, if we know that over time the stock market historically does really well, being able to, to some degree, limit the volatility to the ride makes it much more palatable or makes us able to stand the ride much easier. So if I told you we're gonna, you're going to average 20%, uh, 20% average annual rate of return over the next 20 years, but about every three years you're going to lose half your money, nobody would actually realize that 20% rate of return because they simply could not handle that ride. Losing half their money every three years would just be too much for most people. So it's important to constantly reassess Make sure you understand what your goals are and couple or correlate those goals to the way that you invest and make sure that you're taking an appropriate level of risk, an appropriate level of volatility for what you're able to actually handle. So I don't know that there's an, a, a, a perfect answer to the question, but you cannot ignore that the market does at times go down. We just have not experienced a whole heck of a lot of it over the last 12 years. But look back over the last 50, you'll see plenty of examples. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, when we're in a volatile year and people are retiring, first of all, do people pick a date that they want to retire with their with their work first? Or do they talk to you first and say, hey, when's the best time for me to retire? Well, it depends on the circumstances, of course. You know, I think in an ideal world, you would have a, a many conversations with me first to make sure that we have all our ducks in a row and we haven't left any money on the table with your employer. We haven't, you know, we've, we've really taken the best, stacked the odds in our favor, I guess is the best way to put it. However, sometimes it's not your choice, right? So sometimes your employer decides for you. And that happens, just to give some people some stats, about a third of people retire through no fault of their own, whether that's they're taking care of a family member and they need to retire early or, you know, their own health requires that they retire early or their employer decides that they're going to use some fancy word like right size or uh, ultimately we can just call it what it is. You get fired before you want to retire. So 
it's not always up to you. So the more often we reassess, we reevaluate, the better. So let's say it is up to you and you have a choice of when you can retire. And if you're, do you ever have situations where the market is so volatile that, I mean, does it really matter on the day that they retire that the markets tank? You're looking at more of a bigger picture, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, does it matter if you had 100% of your money in technology in 1999 and 2000 and you were going to retire in 2001? Obviously, that's a huge concern because the technology sector corrected dramatically, you know, two thirds or more. That could definitely thwart your retirement goals. But if you have your goals and objectives in line and you have your investment portfolio in line and well diversified, uh, a market pullback should not throw you off course, regardless of where you are when you retire. Okay. And who can we blame for all the volatility? Why is this happening? Well, it's easy to, you know, the name of the game in the federal government is point fingers at somebody other than yourself, right? So you can blame whoever you want. But I would say, if I was looking today at where we are and who can we blame, I, I think we can blame a lot of it on, let's call it stimulus spending is one of them, and the Fed. Uh, the Fed has the, the ability to control the tightening and expanding of money supply through the utilization of interest rates. Now, unfortunately, they can very quickly inject capital into the economy through lowering interest rates, which can have a very immediate effect but the unfortunate reality is the opposite side of that. Usually, if you look historically, the Fed has been late to curbing inflation, and then it's kind of chasing its own tail to try and catch up. And I think that's where we're at today. You know, inflation really careened out of control more than was maybe anticipated. And now you can't just simply raise interest rates by two points in one fell swoop, or it has a catastrophic impact on the economy. So you're seeing the Fed slowly raising interest rates to try and slow down a problem that you could argue they were very responsible in creating. When the stimulus checks went out, that did everybody know that this money had to be paid back somehow? Uh, I would like to think that they did, but I would think that if you talk to most people, they would say probably not or not to the magnitude that is going to have an impact. But we, if you think about it conceptually, we had such an amazing scenario for business, which in turn impacts the overall stock market. You had a scenario where Money was almost free for borrowing. So if I'm a company and I'm making widgets, I can borrow money to build those widgets for basically nothing. Um, some of my workforce at one point was actually funded regardless of whether or not I was having a rough year. The government through PPP loans uh, essentially just gave out free money. So now my workforce is partially compensated beyond me having to do it. And then the people who are buying my widgets were receiving stimulus checks. So essentially they were using government money to buy my stuff. So I was building it for basically free with free labor to sell it to people who are giving money for free. I would say that's a pretty good shot in the arm for the growth of the economy. Now, that's one small piece of what caused the recent boom in the economy. But I think that's a pretty easy explanation of why things would charge. But I think you hit the nail on the head, and that is that free money is not free. That free money comes in the form of uh, debt or inflation, and the government chose, for the most part, inflation. What other options are there? How, if you were in charge, how would you have handled that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's easy for me to Monday morning quarterback this and have hindsight being 2020. But, you know, whether or not the second uh, round of stimulus spending was a good idea or a bad idea, I think is debatable. Also, where that stimulus money went, as with all things government, there is an intent of what the program is, and then there's the reality of what the program is. And there was definitely, and no one would argue that there was plenty of fat in these stimulus rounds. So, you know, some of the money that was uh, allegedly sent back to help the American people was, you know, padding other areas of federal spending. So, 
you know, those would be two ways that I would, you know, if I had my magic wand, I would have easily trimmed. The other thing, you know, is as, and this is definitely hindsight is twenty twenty. starting to raise interest rates a little sooner, I believe would have made a, a very powerful impact, but we are where we are now. We can't change what the government does uh, in my business. I, I certainly can't change what the government does, but what I can change is how my clients are invested. And while I never would advocate day trading or trying to time the market, what you can do is recognize very logical trends or very logical things that are happening in the economy and make subtle adjustments that can make a significant difference both in mitigating risk or minimizing the amount of volatility and bounce that you have in, in, your, in your investment portfolio, and also uh, increasing gain. So for example, as interest rates rise, bonds as a whole fall but not all bonds fall the same, meaning short-term bonds, inflationary protected bonds, do not get impacted near as much on the negative side as let's say long-term bonds. So is that timing the market to take your bond allocation to a little bit shorter maturity? It's not timing the market. It's following the logical pattern of what's happening in the economy today and protecting yourself better without necessarily reducing your exposure to them. That's one example of many that can make a substantial impact, both in the ride of your portfolio or the, the, the glide path of what you see, and also in the ultimate outcome of rates of return, et cetera. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptis Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. The, the recording is at aptiswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, while it sure sounds like a good problem to have, is there such a thing as having too much in a savings account. This definitely does not apply to me, but for those, <laughs> for those that do have this problem. You know, I think when it comes to, let's, let's set the table a little bit here. When it comes to money management, investing, et cetera, we're always talking about improving your situation. So when we say that somebody has too much money in their savings account, that is certainly a conversation about improving your situation. But the good news is you have too much money in your savings account. I mean, good for you. You're in a great position. But I think it, it usually points me in a couple of directions. One, if people believe, well, what's the difference? 
if I have money in savings or investing, we clearly have to talk about the impact of inflation and the value of investing. And the reality is, if you look at last year to this year, if you had $100,000 in your savings account in January of 2021, and you have $100,000 in your savings account today, it is only worth about $92,000 in real spending dollars because inflation was, and I'm just rounding to 8%. You know, Social Security said it's about 6 Certain metrics will tell you it's, it's in the teens. If you look at the pump or you look at the cost of food, you would certainly agree with the latter and not the prior. So undoubtedly, you have a lot less spending power than you had before. And the only way that you overcome that issue is by putting that money in some form of investment or some sort of vehicle that at least tries to match inflation or hopefully outpace it. So there's a huge problem with just leaving the money in cash. That does not mean that I do not believe that everybody should have at least a certain amount of money in cash. Meaning, if you put your money in the stock market in January, well, today it's worth less than it was in January. So you wouldn't want your emergency fund having that level of volatility when you might actually need the money quickly. So you want to have enough money on hand. You know, you hear terms like three to six months worth of what your bills are. Uh, you want to have that on hand so that it's readily available. And, and sure, it's losing purchasing power. You try and get the best rate of return at the bank that you can, but you need that. But beyond that, you need to invest in something. And typically what I find is if people say, yeah, I just feel more comfortable with the money at the bank, I think, and I'm hypothesizing here, this is just through a lot of meetings with individuals, but I believe what they're really telling me is, I don't have clear plans for the money and I am uncomfortable with putting that money in XYZ investment. Because if you're not comfortable that you don't need this money for 10 years and you're not comfortable that the particular investment will, let's say, double its money in 10 years, then you would feel more comfortable just leaving it where it is because a, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in a bush, right? So I get that. So what the, does that really mean? it means they don't feel like they're missing out on opportunities. It does not feel like it is a more logical solution to invest the money. So that means that we have to take the time to educate folks uh, to the level that makes them feel comfortable and also go through their financial plan or go through the blueprint process, as we call it, and find out what is the actual goal for the money. Because if they're not truly going to need this money for 20 years, then volatility should be a lot more palatable. It should be a lot less scary if we know through logical investing we can far outpace the money that's sitting in your checking account or savings account. The other thing, and sometimes this helps people kind of get over the nudge, is realize that investing in different vehicles actually gives us the ability to offset some tax liability. There's two important pieces of the puzzle, and there's many more than that, but two very drastic important pieces of the puzzle when it comes to investing and being able to live off this money long term. And one is we got to keep up and outpace inflation. And the second is we got to minimize taxes as much as possible because the money we keep is more important than the overall money that we make. It's not how much we make, it's how much we keep. So being able to use those dollars for future well-determined, well-identified goals while far outpacing inflation and hopefully at the same time minimizing our tax burden, if that isn't enough incentive to do it, well, then we get a much more difficult battle. But usually that is enough to push people over to the other side. Do banks with interest rates rising, are banks getting better with their interest rates that they're 
giving up for savings accounts? I think they're getting better, but it's a slow process. Um, you'll notice that over time, typically, you know, the rates on things, the rates on borrowing goes up far quicker than the rates on savings, uh, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. So, you know, you'll notice that 30-year mortgage rates are well into the fours now, where just not a short time ago, they were down in the low threes, mid threes. Um, you know, if the Fed keeps on raising interest rates, you'll see those continue to climb pretty quickly. However, the CD rates, et cetera, savings rates, it'll take more time. But ultimately, they'll have to they'll have to match up. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule a meeting with Josh to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, you can call him at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So Josh, so someone has excess savings in their later years, uh, leaving a legacy could be something on their mind. What are some of the ways to pass on a legacy from one generation to the next? When it comes to estate planning, it's, it's critical to understand that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I, I can't echo that enough. Doing very, what seems like small things now can make a hugely dramatic difference later. And that difference could be in the form of literally dollars and cents in the way of taxes and probate costs, or it could be in the form of ease for your beneficiaries so they're not tussling with your estate for the next two or three years. So let's go through, you know, kind of what all of the the hurdles are that people have when they die, or at least their money has when they die. One, probate. Two, taxes. Three, confusion. Those are the big three that I encounter all the time. And by probate, I mean, if you don't have your money set up and your stuff set up in a way that goes directly to the beneficiary, it will go through probate. So, and people say, well, I have a will, so I'm good. No, a will goes through probate. Your 401k probably has a beneficiary assigned to it. That does not go through probate. Your life insurance policies, they do have a beneficiary attached to it. That goes around probate. So there are plenty of ways to get around probate but things that are a little bit more difficult that require a little bit of work. Your home, that depending if you're married or not, may not go around probate, but there are ways to assign it so that it does. But again, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You have to go and actually do that. But what is the difference? If you look at probate costs versus the 50 or $100 that you have to pay to set it up directly to a beneficiary through your county, I'd say a pretty darn big difference. Um, taxes. Depending upon how you have accounts set up and how they're going to pass to your beneficiary can make a very significant difference, potentially, in how much taxes that beneficiary is going to receive. Again, the more you do now, the bigger influence it can have later. But I think, you know, even if that wasn't true, even if, uh, you know, it, everything bypassed, you know, probate didn't cost anything and taxes were the same regardless, Simply making things as easy as possible for the people that you're leaving money to has significant value. Think about if your spouse just passed and everything was already arranged where it just, you know, it just ding, 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 fell in line and it went right to you. You've already lost your spouse. There's a lot of things that go along with that. And now you have to tussle with how did, where was everything? How was it all set up? What am I supposed to do? I'm calling different financial institutions, trying to tussle with it. The easier you can make that, the better. Now, there's not a way to eliminate all of it, but you can eliminate a lot of it. Sometimes that requires that you set up trusts. And there's a myriad of different types of trusts. And you'll hear, oh, I already have a trust. 
Well, maybe you have a revocable trust. Maybe you have an irrevocable trust. Maybe you have some sort of gifting trust. Maybe you have some trust that's specifically set up for, you know, the spend down of Medicaid for long-term care planning. Maybe you have a family limited partnership. There's all these different things and they're not all created equal. And it's critical that if you have any of those, you have a very trusted uh, partner in the legal space, have a good attorney that can explain things to you well, make sure that your family members are involved if you like, and make sure that all your ducks in a row, but do it now. Don't wait until you find out that you have two weeks to live and try and do it. That is not the best time. Again, get it done now. It'll make a big difference. What kind of costs are you looking at? And can you recommend these types of attorneys to your clients? Great question. One, and and this is the part that becomes very cumbersome because it depends on the type of trust that you're doing. You can see trusts ranging anywhere from $500 or $1,000 up to five, $6,000, right? And, and everywhere in between. And sometimes, depending on who you work with, you'll see trusts that go up as high as $20,000, which I think is incredibly exorbitant, but nevertheless, you'll see them sometimes. Um, and the big differentiator between whether or not you spend 20000 or you spend 5000 is not what you might think in the way of, well, that just means that the person that you're paying twenty grand for is a much better attorney. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, I think that you know not all the attorneys are created equal for sure, but there are some tremendous attorneys from very, very prestigious, reputable companies that are not nearly as expensive as some that aren't necessarily from the same you know, stead, if you will. So easiest way, reach out to us. I'll point you in the direction of some good attorneys that I've worked with for decades that will do a tremendous job for you. They're time tested with, you know, again, very well-known established companies in Columbus, and they'll get the job done for a reasonable cost. All right. And Josh's number again is 614-364-7300. Let's go, while people are going to call you for that recommendation for an attorney, they can also go through the Aptus Blueprint process with you to see if uh, working with you is advantageous to them or where their resources are currently, where their investments are, if they're fine. Yeah, through the process, you're going to learn a bunch of stuff. You know, I mean, one is we want to find out if your arrow is going to hit the target. So it's a four-step process. Step one is just finding out about you, finding out what you've been doing up to this point. What are you saving? What resources do you have? What are your goals? Uh, maybe even you know some of the crazy ones. And then uh, in meeting two, we're just going to analyze that information. So what does your situation look like? And what are some possible areas or speed bumps along the way of your retirement roadmap that might get in the way? And then in meeting number three, we'll address, we call it our blueprint uh, meeting, we'll address all of those potential speed bumps show you how we can improve that situation. And at that point, we'll really determine whether or not uh, we're a good fit for you, you're a good fit for us, and is this a mutually beneficial relationship for the long term? Uh, and then in, not until meeting number four will we even start, uh, you know, moving uh, maybe, you know, assets over to our management or, you know, really finalizing that process. But all I can guarantee is through that process, you will learn a lot and you will also learn you know, some of those holes in the plan. And some of those, we just got done talking about, you know, attorneys. Would I benefit from meeting with an attorney based upon my individual situation? We are not attorneys, but it's also not our first dance. And we can tell you if you would benefit extremely from meeting with an attorney, or could you benefit from meeting with a CPA or a tax professional to help you navigate some changes that you should make that would make a big difference? And this is all coupled in with the investments, taxes. It's all correlated together. You want to make sure that all the parties involved 
are coordinated on a unified front to improve you the best way that they all can together. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. More. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, we're going to talk about retiring and then unretiring, a la Tom Brady. He decided to unretire. Do you find that there are many people who get retirement remorse and, and, and go back to the workforce like Brady did? Well, you know, it's, it's not. I wouldn't say it's common, but it's more common maybe than you think. But I think you need to differentiate between, you know, the choice of retirement and being forced into it and then maybe going back. So let's, let's use first, you know, how many people do I see that don't need to go back to work? that retired and then decide to go back to work. That's actually a pretty small percentage. But, you know, don't ignore the fact that a lot of people find, you know, their purpose in working. They find happiness in working. They don't necessarily have a lot of outside interests or hobbies. And in which scenario, you know, going back to work might be a good solution. Uh, But I wouldn't say it's incredibly common, but I have one client that's retired probably five times and gone back to work five or six times. But what I'm finding here as of late is people are deciding to retire, but the work environment or the, the labor environment is so tough across the country right now that their employers are offering them amazing deals to come back. You know, the particular example that I was using, that gentleman, you know, he's retired a bunch of times and, and his employer keeps on asking him, you know, what would it take to come back? And he's throwing out what he believes are completely unreasonable demands and they're meeting him. You know, okay, fine, I'll come back, but I'm only working you know, a day and a half a week, we'll take it. I mean, companies are really in in kind of a lurch right now and finding people, particularly qualified people that have a set of skills that maybe you have from over your career. So, you know, we're seeing it more and more common now, but it's not like 50% of the people do it, but it's it's a substantial enough number that I see it. What about people that kind of lose their sense of purpose? Because I know, you know, men like to be providers and they like to be purposeful women or me, maybe not so much, just kidding. But when they retire, they feel like they're not being productive. So you don't have a lot of clients that go back just because they feel a little bit lost? I wouldn't say a lot, but definitely a few. And I I have a tremendous amount of clients that do something. So when we're talking about coming out of retirement, I'm assuming that we're going right back into the occupation that we were doing before. And I would say that's kind of a, a small percentage, but a large percentage of people go back to do something. You know, think of the you know, I retired, but I'm going back to, to Home Depot or going back and working as a, as a starter at a golf course or, or something to get them out of bed in the morning, give them purpose, give them camaraderie and working with other people. That's incredibly common. I'm also starting to see because of the unpredictability and volatility of the market, coupled with the inflation rates that we're seeing, people are saying, well, you know, it, it definitely couldn't hurt for me to go back, put less of a strain on my investment portfolio, and I'll, you know, make a little bit extra money. There's a lot of factors that kind of go into that decision. It's certainly unique. But I would say it's less than 50%. So, But they should call you if they do go back to work so they don't screw up their Social Security or anything like that. 
That's a great point. Yeah, and clearly you're you're starting. You've been paying attention, uh, Diane. I listen I mean, once there, in a while. There there are some uh, there are some nuances to going back, you know, and and you hit one, you know, nail right on the head. Social Security. If you're under full retirement age and collecting Social Security, there are some income limitations that you have to place. If you make over a certain amount of money for every two bucks you make over that, the government comes in and takes a dollar of your Social Security away from you. So, yeah, I would say if we've if we've based your retirement on the factors that we currently have, if those factors change, we need to reevaluate and make sure that we're not missing something and biting, you know, kind of kicking ourselves in our own butt. You know, we want to make sure that we're doing the best things that we can every year. But what if their happiness is more important than losing that dollar? If they're just having so much fun at their workplace and, and, and having that enjoyment, does that make sense then? Yeah. I mean, I think it always makes, listen, I mean, you know, people will say all the time, you know, should I go back to work? Cause then I'm gonna have to pay more in taxes. There is no 100% tax rate. So clearly working is always beneficial to some capacity. It's just a matter of, you know, dollars and cents wise to what capacity. But if your purpose to going back to work is fulfillment, camaraderie, the people that you work with, feeling like you're making a difference, whatever it might be, it will always be beneficial for you to do that in a dollars and cents wise is a way as well. Always. You will always move the needle in the good direction, never in the bad by going back to work. But if you're looking at it purely from a dollars and cents perspective and not from those things, then it might not be moving the needle as much as you think because of all of the other things that may be impacted as a result of the income. So, you know, it always makes sense if it's for the fulfillment angle, for sure. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So Josh, I like it when you advise people to take a long vacation before retirement and kind of pretend they're retired and really think about how they'd spend their time. Yeah, I think that's uh, hugely helpful. You know, other countries actually are, are staunch advocates of that and provide more, you know, kind of time off to, to benefit from that. And I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that's helpful. One, you know, you're, when you're younger, you're more capable of doing different things in retirement than when you get older. And I'm not suggesting that you can't do amazing things when you're 65 and 70, but you know, the older we get, the more limited we get in our mobility, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, taking those vacations early, I think is valuable on a lot of fronts, but two, I think those trial kind of retirements can be really helpful. You know, oftentimes if somebody is, you know, they know they want to retire from one job and they're going to go take another one. There's nothing stopping you typically, particularly not in today's work environment from saying, you know what, I'm going to take a month off before I go back and get that other job and kind of feel it out, feel what it feels like. Uh, I think there's, there's nothing but upside in doing that. And is there anyone that just loves their career so much that they just don't want to retire? Absolutely. And what are those um, jobs? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, I find that with physicians a lot. Physicians will work and work and work for a long period of time. I find it uh, with entrepreneurs all the time. And I think, you know, certain jobs that allow for flexibility, you see that. So if you're in an occupation or you run your own business or you have a particular skill set that allows you to back off the amount that you work and you're in an environment that provides a tremendous amount of flexibility, meaning you, even though you say you're not retiring, you still have the ability to take off three weeks or a month. Those jobs tend to hang on a lot, lot longer. People hang on to those jobs a lot, lot longer than, let's say, if you were you know, working construction and you had to be there from nine to five Monday through Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday every single week. So I think it's, 
when you retire, how you retire, and whether you ever retire is closely correlated to the occupation that you have for sure. And let's talk about how important the conversation is between uh, a retiree and a spouse. I mean, how many Critically people, important. Yeah, I mean, yeah. COVID taught us that people are spending a lot more time together. You know, maybe maybe they don't like as much time together as they do. I mean, that plays well, a huge they, part. Yeah, maybe they, maybe they don't want to spend as much time together as they thought, or maybe they just have completely different interests. And I think when you're, you know, when you're in your working years and you're grinding away and she has a job and you have a job and you're, you're doing your thing and everything's great, you don't have a lot of time for all of these, you know, extracurricular hobbies, if you will. But once you're retired, you have all the time in the world to fill, to fill that time. And sometimes those are not exactly what I would say coordinated. So you'll find one spouse that doesn't want to travel at all. And the other one, all they wanted to do was travel when they retire. And we were talking earlier today about, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. These are the types of conversations that whether we like, whether clients like to have them or not, I'm going to talk to you about dollars and cents for sure. And we're going to talk about how to make sure your financial life is in order and how do we maximize your retirement, et cetera. But one of those conversations is going to be, what do you want to do when you retire? And that helps steer the conversation for how much money we'll need when we retire. But it also kind of as a byproduct starts that dialogue and that conversation early. And the earlier you can have that conversation, obviously the better. I don't mean to turn into an Oprah show, but how many times do the spouses, let's say their spouse is a physician and they're thinking, oh, well, we'll just spend more time together when that the doctor retires. I've been very fortunate or lucky or whatever you want to call it in that it doesn't happen that often. So even if it does, remember what I said earlier is typically the people that have those type of occupations where they're still working in their mid-70s, they have a tremendous amount of flexibility. So it still affords for the opportunity for people to still do a lot of things together. For example, you know, that physician, by the time they're in their 70s, they probably have a tremendous amount of time off built up. They have a lot of tenure with that particular organization that they're with. So if their wife or husband really, really wants to tie really wants to travel, they probably have the flexibility to be able to do that. So I don't really encounter it as being a big deal where I, where I encounter kind of that disparity of understanding of what retirement will look like is when the conversation's never been had where two people are hyper-motivated career-type folks where they really just don't have a lot of time. They've been raising the kids. They've been doing everything they're supposed to do. Um, They really don't have a lot of time left for themselves. And then, click, kids are out of the house, game's over, and now we can do whatever we want. And we find out that husband and wife do not enjoy the same things whatsoever. Have that conversation earlier rather than later because it does not mean that your relationship is doomed. And you were talking about trying not to sound like an Oprah show. I'm certainly not trying to do that. But, you know, having that conversation earlier makes us be able to map out a successful plan. How many times do you find that couples aren't on the same page when it comes to finances or there's only one spouse that's looking after the finances? And let's say something happens to that spouse and the other spouse is kind of in the dark. Well, I just got done saying in the other scenario that you gave me that it very rarely happens. But this, on the other hand, happens all the time. Uh, matter of fact, the appointment that I, that I had on Friday yesterday was exactly that. We had a husband and wife, and you know, the wife was very motivated as far as you know, saving money, making sure that they're on track with their retirement goals, making sure that they're on track with kids' educations, making sure that they're on track with saving for future vacations, et cetera. And the other person, on the other hand, just isn't quite there. And, you know, this is a couple in their 40s. And, you know, the other person just isn't quite on the same page financially. And that can unfortunately cause a little bit of animosity at the time. But I think it has the potential to create a lot more animosity down the line. 
for example, if that particular person that's hyper motivated and saving towards retirement is in a in a position with their own occupation to be able to retire at let's say 55 or 60 early, and their objective is, hey, when the kids are out of the house, I want to be able to travel and do all the things that I want to do when I'm young and capable of doing so. But the other person did not make those steps, and did not take those steps to retire. Well, now we're stuck in this quandary where the person who did all the right things is either going to supplement the other person to live a retirement that isn't nearly what they were hoping it would be, or that first person who did all the right things is going to go live a separate life doing all the things they wanted to do, while the other person with a tremendous amount of animosity probably is continuing to grind out at that job for years, maybe even a decade longer. So it's, it's critically important that as soon as possible, you can get both people at least remotely close to on the same page so their, their ship is pointed in the same direction. And uh, part of my job, whether I like it or not, is to uh, help people get unified in that front or at least find common ground because there's no question that finances can be quite a polarizing topic. And I've done this long enough to know how to, from a non-threatening perspective on both parties, try and find some sort of compromise and common ground. To schedule your counseling session with Josh, just kidding. To go through the Aptus Blueprint <laughs> process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. More with Josh Pick when we come back. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, for many, being creative during their working years is an asset. Can that outside-the-box creativity be an asset when it comes to retirement planning? Like, I'm going to have to be very creative in my retirement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's define what creative is first in my space. Because I think, you know, just that general term of, well, I'm going to get creative with my finances, that can be a little troublesome uh, in general. You know, for example, it always makes me incredibly nervous when somebody says, hey, I got this new idea. Uh, Because usually if you look at all of the terrible investments people have invested in potentially over the years or the terrible decisions that people have made uh, over the years with their finances. Usually it's because they have this kind of outside the box investment strategy, this can't lose philosophy or Or there's a lot of rationalization, get rich quick or a rationalization to justify a purchase or the list kind of goes on. So I don't like this quote unquote new idea that never fails. However, um, being creative in finance is a huge asset. And when I mean creative, I mean taking well-established things that have been around for a really long period of time 
and using them maybe not in accordance with their traditional um, use or their traditional idea of use or their traditional method of what people would usually use them for. Um, and also, you know, being creative based upon the environment. So let me give you a very clear cut example. Right now, interest rates on savings accounts is incredibly low. However, because volatility and the uncertainty in the world is so high, people are, and we talked about this earlier today even, holding very significant balances in their savings account if they're fortunate enough to be able to develop that. So it's not uncommon in my office for me to see people that have a very large balance in their savings account. Think, you know, $100,000, $200,000 sitting in cash in a savings account. And the downside of that is obviously that money's being eroded by inflation because, you know, I mean, inflation's six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10%, depending on which one, which measure you look at. But the interest rate that they're receiving on their savings account is probably 1% or more than likely significantly less than that. So they're eroding their purchasing power and they're getting very low return, um, even in exchange for that below that interest rate or below that inflation rate. However, at the same time, they have a mortgage on their house that has a $400,000 balance on it. And that mortgage is costing them, let's just say 4% a year in interest. And they say, well, you know, I'd really like to pay off my house quicker, but, and you go, why don't you put $200,000 down in your house? And they go, well, then I won't have $200,000 because that's, that's my safety net. That's what I like there. Okay, fair enough. But you're making zero cents basically on your $200,000. But the $200,000 in balance on your mortgage on your house is costing you $8,000 a year to maintain. So let's be a little creative here. Think a little outside of the box. I want to give you the solidarity and the comfort of knowing that you always have access to this capital. But at the same time, I would like to take the balance on your home from $400,000 down to $200,000. If there's a way that we could do that, would that make sense? Of course. So let's put $200,000 down on the home. But before we do that, Let's go to the bank and say, we're going to put $200,000 down in the home. We would like to get a $200,000 home equity line of credit or HELOC, as it's known kind of in the banking industry. Now, what does that mean? Well, we have access to write a check or transfer money to our checking account anytime we want $200,000 because we have a open line of credit with a zero balance and a $200,000 limit that we can send to ourselves anytime we want. We only have a balance on our mortgage of $200,000, so we effectively just saved ourselves eight grand. However, if we need the money, we go write a check to ourselves. But are we going to need $200,000 in one fail swoop? Well, the only reason you have $200,000 in cash is because you never need $200,000. You probably very rarely need any money, otherwise you wouldn't have a balance of $200,000. So in the event that you need ten grand, let us say, you're going to have to pay interest on that until you pay it back, which I think is reasonably fair. But let's say that the interest again is 4%. So you're paying $400 on the 10 grand that you borrowed until you paid off. I think we can all agree that $400 is a heck of a lot better than eight grand. So what have you done? You have now on ongoing payments towards your house, a larger chunk is going to go to interest as opposed to, or, or to principal as opposed to interest. You still have access to the capital and you just put yourself 8,000 to the positive at minimum every single year. That is not using anything new, that's a home equity line of credit that's been around forever, but it's a creative way to use it because we're in an interest rate environment that's so low. 
There are many instances like that that you can do to improve your situation and do things like pay off your house quicker or lower your tax burden or reduce the amount of risk that you have while still maintaining the same rate of return or even better. There are many creative ways in finance that use age-old principles, but in accordance with today's environment that can improve your situation a lot. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Josh, I want to talk to you about a HELOC. So in my personal situation, I had a HELOC on my home. When the market crashed, the bank I was with and held the mortgage with closed my HELOC, just took it away. What are the chances of that happening to someone in retirement who then cannot apply for another HELOC because they're retired? Because it's always best to get that before retirement, correct? Uh, It is always best to get it before retirement, but that by no means means that you cannot get one when you're in retirement. It is just easier to get before retirement. And by easier, I don't mean, oh man, I might not qualify. That's not what I mean at all. What I mean is if I'm making $100,000 from a W-2 job, and I go to the bank, that fits real neat and tidy right inside of their nice square box that they like to look at. Well, here's income, here's debt, we're good. When you're retired, you have assets that provide you an income stream. You don't have a W-2 income. That does not fit neat and tidy in their little square box, but that does not mean that you cannot still get a HELOC. You just have to justify that you can provide the income to substantiate it in a little bit different way. And that's something that we do all the time. We help our clients with, you know, banker calls and says, well, we need to know more about this person's scenario. Well, I can speak their language and I can help you navigate that process. But you're absolutely right. It's easier when you're working. So could this situation happen to retirees? Because what happened to me happened to a bunch of people because of the housing crash. They took away everybody's. The bank just said, we are closing down all the HELOCs that have zero balances on them. Well, it depends, obviously, on the bank, uh, because I can tell you, for example, that I had a HELOC on my house during the financial crisis, and my bank did not take it away, and I had a zero balance. So it might be bank-specific or even region-specific. And also, you know, that was the worst housing crisis since, you know, ever. So that was a very unique situation. But could it happen? Absolutely. Will there be a way to pivot from that? 100%. Should you necessarily take, in my example that I just went through, $200,000, maybe put 100% of the $200,000 down? Maybe not. Maybe you keep 50 back. But which, should you do it to improve your situation with this creative kind of thought process? Um, it's not for everybody, but I think we can agree it moves the needle quite substantially. So you have to weigh the risks and the rewards. But I can tell you that I've never had a scenario with any client of mine that's been in a position through the you know, the, the financial crisis of 08, 09, or any other time that they've been working with me where they were stuck going, oh man, I'm in trouble. I can't get access to this capital because I have no outlets to be able to do so. I've never had that scenario occur. Okay. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So Josh, talking about out of the box thinking, what are some retirement strategies that people once used that are now outdated or extinct? Yeah. You know, again, I don't want to say that they're outdated or extinct. It's just that the environment is cause for maybe changing our age old thought process. Let me give you some examples. For the last 40 years, if you had a 60-40 stock to bond portfolio, that was kind of like the the gold standard. Uh, Once you retire, you put 60% of your money in stocks, you put 40% of your money in bonds, and you withdraw 4% uh, every single year. And as long as I do that, 
it will adjust for inflation over time for the remainder of my life and I'll never run out of money and I'll be in good shape. And that was very standard conventional wisdom that for the last 40 years has worked, but you got to look at the environment over the last 40 years. Over the last 40 years, we included the 80s, which obviously, you know, rates were really, really high. So your risk-free rate of return was significant. And then as interest rates went down, which they've essentially steadily done since 1980, uh, that was a tremendous time for the bond market. And we've basically been in a bull run for the bond market for the last 40 years. But that is the last 40 years. That does not necessarily mean that that will work for the next 40 years. Because if you look at the 40 years prior to that, the bond market looks significantly different. And that risk-free rate of return was significantly different. So what does that mean? Well, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean maybe we need to get our safe money from somewhere else. It could mean that maybe we need to increase our, mar our equity exposure and reduce our amount of bond exposure and limit the, the duration in our bonds. But then that comes at a price. That comes at a price of potential volatility. So maybe we have to add in other asset classes that we haven't necessarily considered in the past because it was so easy. You know, in the past, nobody really needed exposure to things like commodities. And by commodities, I think... You know, think of things like gold, silver, wheat, soy, corn, farmland, et cetera. People don't necessarily need that because of everything that I just said. 60-40 worked perfectly, so why stretch my legs out to get these other things? Well, you know, moving forward, that might be something you need to get a little bit more sophisticated about. Maybe have a little bit of exposure to these other asset classes to be able to accommodate for inflation, et cetera. So, you know, it's not anything new. It's not like, for example, farmland is anything new. It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, one of the oldest things there is. But investing in it, well, now that's a little bit newer unless you were a farmer. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that everybody run out and buy a bunch of farmland. What I am using that as an example of an asset class that is not new, but has been very underutilized, where we may need to start increasing our exposure to different things to accommodate for the changing environment moving forward. The other thing would be, is 4% still a viable number to withdraw? You know, the Wall Street Journal uh, did an article some time ago at this point, but it said the death of the 4%. Can you still do that? Is it more like 3.5? I would contest that it's not. You can still do at least 4%. However, you have to change your thought process on what you're investing in and the ratios to which you're investing in and make some concessions in other areas. But I think that it's still very much a viable option. But again, this concept of not necessarily out-of-the-box thinking, but changing your perspective, utilizing age-old principles, but just maybe not principles that we've been using in the last 20 or 30 years, but ones that we've used over the last 100. Well, that is it for today. Thank you, Josh. Thanks to everyone for joining us. If you'd like to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And join Josh Mondays with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer at 12.30 p.m. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.